Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Mary Johnston. A 21-year-old autistic self-advocate from New Hampshire, Mary hosts a blog called Autistic Rainbow 15, where she shares LGBTQ and disability-friendly tips, as well as information about inclusion and disability rights. A longtime member of our online global autism community, Mary recently joined the moderator team to help ensure our space remains safe and respectful. In today's conversation, we discuss Mary receiving her diagnosis at 12 years old, receiving occupational therapy and speech therapy in school, coping with bullying and how she processes her feelings, her autistic strengths, a poem she wrote titled A Letter to My Autism, service animals and our shared love for dogs, sensory struggles related to lights, sounds, and close proximity to other people, challenges with finding employment, her dream job, derealization, anxiety, and depression, what she likes about being a community moderator for the global autism community, puzzle piece representation, and advice for other autistic women. In this episode, discover what's possible when you learn to accept yourself. To learn more about Mary, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our online community at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you Mary Johnston. Hi, Mary. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you've been a community member since the early days, and I'm excited to finally have a one-on-one interview with you. I'm very excited. I've been dreaming about this day probably since I started on the community. All right, let's start with a brief introduction. So my name is Mary Johnston. I'm 21 years old. And I found out I was autistic probably when I was about 12 was when I got it formally diagnosed. And we kind of had like different diagnoses when I was growing up, which is how I was able to get my IEP. But when I was 12, I really found out like a huge core of my identity. And I wasn't really open about it at first. But in the middle of the pandemic, I thought, I'm bored out of my mind. And I started becoming really proud of my identity and kind of my culture as an autistic person. I think I'm going to start a blog and start talking about it some more and kind of see where it goes. And I didn't really expect anything to happen. I kind of expected like a couple likes. And then a week later, I'm like, oh, wow, this is really taking off. And it's so fun connecting with people and talking about how to make society better for autistic people, more inclusive, 
It's fun talking about my special interests. I really love talking about dogs. I have this TikTok or it's just kind of like a fun random TikTok, but a lot of it is about dogs. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like a short introduction of who I am as a person. Yeah, I know we share a love for dogs. We were just talking about my dog Cosmo before we hit record. <laughs> the first dog I ever fell in love with was this uh, black doodle puppy named Luna at my school. She's actually a therapy dog, and she was just the cutest thing. Oh, yeah. I whenever I see a dog on the street, my heart just melts. It's like even if the dog is, I don't want to say ugly, but. <laughs> maybe kind of scruffy looking like I can always find something cute about them <laughs> yeah we have this neighbor with this golden retriever named maple and she is just the biggest angel you'll ever meet and she always pulls on the leash so our neighbor Wanda will let go of maple's leash and she'll just run to us and she gets so offended when you stop petting her it's the funniest thing <laughs> all right Mary let's talk about your childhood growing up did you always feel different? I would say that I did because I didn't really develop normally. And my parents noticed that definitely, but they kind of thought like, you know, she's young, you know, she'll grow into it. And when I was about five, my pediatrician said like she's showing signs of developmental delays and ADHD so they diagnosed me with that and they kind of diagnosed me with like sensory processing disorder and not otherwise specified. And they said, you should get her an IEP and get her into some therapies. So I did occupational therapy and speech therapy, which I actually really liked because the teachers were really nice and they helped me do things like pick up small objects, walk down the stairs properly because I was having trouble walking quickly and they needed me to walk faster or run safely if there was ever like a fire drill or anything. So they really helped me with development in those areas. And when I was older, they helped me understand things like parts of speech, alliterations, how to talk in proper sentences and start conversations. So they really helped prepare me for the real world, which I'm really thankful for. And they were also just really nice to me. And they've always believed in where I wanted to go. And I really will always be thankful for the special ed teachers that I had. Oh, do you have a special teacher in mind that you had a good experience with? I would always talk about my English teacher, Mrs. Pomeroy. She was funny and sarcastic, but she was also sweet and very kind to her students. She and I kind of had like a best friend teacher relationship. Me and my friend Evan would call her Palm or Pom Pom and she'd just laugh it off. And one time she knew that I loved Disney and when it was my birthday, she got me a Minnie Mouse cupcake Aww. and she said, happy birthday. I was thinking of you when I was at the grocery store yesterday and I wanted you to have this. And I was like, thank you. Like, that's mm -hmm. so sweet. And she always believed in me and said, like, I can see that you're going to get far in life. And I believe that you do really well on your schoolwork and things like that. And whenever I had classes with special ed teachers, I never had one like rude 
look or remark or anything. Like they've always been so kind to me. It was always the gen ed teachers. Whenever I took gen ed courses, they'd give me dirty looks or they'd kind of give me snarky remarks. Like one teacher in my fashion class said, you can't do that. That'd be too hard for someone like you. And I said, that's kind of hurtful. Like, what do you mean by that? Like art is one of my special interests. And then when I was in my special ed courses, my teachers were like, do you ever need help on this? Or if you need help on this, let me know. So I think it's really important that gen ed teachers receive a lot more training when kids from the special ed department are in their courses. Because whenever I was in a course with a gen ed teacher, I was treated really disrespectfully and it really hurt my feelings growing up. Oh, I'm sorry you had to go through that. What was it like with the other students? I would say in my special ed courses, everyone was respectful and civil, and we got along well in pairs and groups. In the gen ed courses, students weren't really respectful of me. They would start rumors or they would treat me like I wasn't smart enough. Like one time we had this health assignment and I did my slides and I contacted my partner saying, hey, I got all this done. And she went in and she changed my slides around. And she said, I don't think you could get us an A. So I changed it to make it better. I was like, okay. Don't really know how to respond to Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So how did you cope when you were mistreated? I would say I always had a safe space. Like I would talk to my dad or my mom. I have my sister and we have a lot in common, which is great. We're both autistic. We're both females. So we relate to a lot of the same struggles and I can always lean on her when I need her. And I also keep like a little journal of my feelings because my feelings have always been very easy to get stressed out or happy or sad or anything. So I always keep like a little journal log on my phone and I write about how I feel throughout the day. And that really helps me stay calm and take a deep breath. And it helps me really process my feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, journaling is great. Sometimes you just kind of need to let it out. If not talking to someone like a therapist, writing is a really useful tool. Yeah, I have gone to therapy a little bit in the past and that's also helped me process my feelings better and learn how to control feelings like when I get mad and things like that. Mm. Okay. So how does autism affect your everyday life now? I think it's hard because autism is such a fluid spectrum, but for me, my feelings are really hypersensitive. So when people do something small, for me, it could be really big. I think of it kind of like a little tea mug for like a neurotypical person and then like a giant house for like an autistic like if I get really happy sometimes like I I yell a little bit and sometimes when I get sad I just start crying instantly and when I get mad like I'll I'll yell a little bit it's hard for me to like even now even when I've gone through speech therapy to take a minute and step back and evaluate my feelings and how to appropriately respond in the moment. Because sometimes still being human, I still just kind of like erupt a little bit. 
we went to Maine this weekend and we were swimming in this infinity pool and it was so much fun. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's an infinity pool. This is awesome. And everyone was looking at me like, and I was like, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I was just so excited. It's really cool. It's a little scary though, because you have to be careful because if you're not careful, you can go over the edge because it's flat, but it's really cool. It's like you're swimming in the ocean. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been in one of those before. Yeah, exactly. It kind of looks like you're you're extending out a lot further than you really are. It's super cool. Yeah. What would you say your strengths are? Like your autistic strengths? I would say my autistic strengths are creativity. I've always been really creative and a really good problem solver. I think in kind of these deep, interesting ways that people don't really come up with. And I love coming up with stories. And I actually really love poetry. That's a big way that I've handled my feelings. My poems are kind of dark because I started it when I was battling with pretty bad depression. But whenever I get anxiety too, I write down my feelings. And... I wrote one of my favorite poems, Childhood, back when I was in, I think, 12th grade, about how I just missed the days of the past where life wasn't so stressful because now it's it's harder because you have to work all day and people expect so much of you. And wouldn't it just be great to go back to eight years old, you know, (laughs) watching TV and all that? Mm Mm-hmm. But I write it down in this kind of creative way, and it really helps me put those mind thoughts at ease. Mm -hmm. And I would say my strengths also would be loyalty. I really love the people that I love, and I just, I can't forget them. And I like to write them cards, and I give them gifts. I just made a special gift for my friend Chandler, who... It was her birthday yesterday. I got her a baking mix and I made her a card of her favorite show. And I just said, you've always been like a sister to me because you've always been like so supportive and I really love having you in my life. And she thanked me because she's thankful to be my friend too. Oh, that's really sweet. So speaking of writing, Mary, you posted something back in April titled A Letter to My Autism. And I thought it was really moving. Would you mind reading it, actually? Yeah. Autism, you're a part of me. My DNA, my soul. Yet for so many years, I was ashamed and embarrassed about who you were. I had so much depression and anxiety about not fitting in and being like the other kids. Yeah, high school sucked for us. School sucked for us. Anxiety and depression are hard for any high schooler. It's harder with you, though, because you make me feel these emotions 30 times stronger than anyone else. I'm sorry for how I treated you, for shaming our stims, our smile, and laugh and innocence, our beam and getting too loud and exciting when something small happens, yet to us it was like winning a lottery. I'm sorry I hated you when people bullied us and called us names. When we tried so hard to joke with the holistics and the neurotypicals, yet we're seen as the weird ones, or trying too hard, or when we let our freak frag fly and we were seen as that weird, stupid, autistic kid. 
I'm sorry I almost gave up on us and thought about it more than once. I'm sorry we struggled with school and had to put on a tough mask to avoid getting hurt more than we did. It's not fair and never was. Even if it did serve protection, I'm sorry they looked at you like a worthless box of nothing, and I saw so much in you. I'm sorry we had to suffer from jealousy of not feeling good enough or having our confidence shattered when expectations didn't go our way. I'm sorry the world is so lonely and confusing. I'm sorry those around you looked at you strangely, infantilized you, or talked about you like you were a void in an empty room. But I have to thank you. Yes, you. Made a difference in my life. It's very difficult in a lot of ways. No one just wakes up and wishes to be in our shoes. It's not all unicorns and rainbows. But you are the first genetic blessing I never knew I needed. I love you. I'm proud of you. I love your joy so much, your beam, your grin, your smile. I love your bad catching skills and your humor and intelligence of things you love. I know that you always feel like you're in competition with everyone, but you always loved learning, especially about the things you love. You've always loved adventure, and you're more loyal than anyone on this planet added up and multiplied by a thousand. I love your caring nature and love for family, dreams, and helping others. Heck, I love your never-ending passion for what you love and your resilience to make what you want happen. I admire your confidence and hope for better change. I admire your respect for others and treating everyone well. I love how daring you are and how nicely you treat others. You belong with me, Autism. I'm sorry it took so long to say this, but you made me who I am and I'm thankful for it. Oh, thank you, Mary. Yeah, writing for me is something that has always put things in perspective. (laughs) And I always get so much anxiety when I'm asked to read things, but... Oh, I'm sorry. I do... No, no, it's okay. I I love sharing things with people and I was I was ready to put it out there and I like how it was taken by people and I wanted to show that autism is difficult but it can be a blessing in disguise as well. Yeah. I love that transformation that you you go through. Thank you. In the beginning you're it's almost like I feel the sense of guilt in a way when you're saying, I'm sorry for this and I'm sorry for that. But it's coming from a place of acceptance because it is a process. And I like how you point out the things that you are good at, not only just good at, but things about your character that make you more compassionate with other people. Thank you. Yeah. So related to your advocacy work. What are you most passionate about? I would say probably service dogs or inclusion. I think that service dogs is such a fascinating thing because animals are so intelligent beyond belief, but I read in a dog magazine that dogs have the average intelligence of a three to four-year-old child and that they can really understand words and sentences and that you can train them to help disabled people in this way. And there's so many jobs they can do from mobility work to seizures to autism to guide work. And I just think it's so cool how they take in these adorable young puppies and they grow into these respectful, noble dog adults that... (laughs) 
help their disabled partners. And I just think it's so sweet. I watched Pick of the Litter on Netflix, which is where Guiding Eyes for the Blind trained the dogs of their newest litter. And unfortunately, some didn't make it into final training, but they found good homes for them at the end, which was good. But we got to watch, like, I think two dogs become full-term service dogs. And I got emotional with them. I thought, this is so beautiful and so sad and so exciting at the same time. Yeah. And I love advocating for better change. I remember seeing something on the Broadway site that they're doing like a sensory friendly night every now and again for people with sensory processing disorder or autism so they can enjoy the show too. And I know movie theaters do that as well where they leave the lights a little bit more dim and the sound isn't as loud, Mm -hmm. which helps autistic people feel safer when they walk in. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I know that you've mentioned in some roundtables in the past about some of the sensory challenges that you have. Could you share some of that for our listeners who might not have heard those episodes? Yeah. So it's funny because my sister, she really doesn't struggle with that stuff at all, but I do. So she calls herself my service human (laughs) uh, and we think it's funny. So we go with it. But I get really stressed out very easily by super bright lights. I don't like them. My family makes fun of me for washing dishes with the kitchen light off. And they always ask me, is it okay if I turn on the light? And I say, yeah, it's okay. Because I can survive with it for a couple minutes on. But usually in my perspective is, why would you want a light on when there's a window right there? The natural light is better and it's less stressful and you're saving money on lights. (laughs) And also, I don't like loud noises, especially unexpected noises. I hate public restrooms because of those loud air dryers. I go in, I wash my hands and I leave. Mm. And if I hear those dryers, I like cover my ears because they're just so loud and unexpected. and it just feels stressful, if that makes sense. Like I, I can't really describe it, but it's just so loud and unexpected that it stresses me out. And I don't like people getting too close to me. That also makes me uncomfortable. Mm. If I know them personally, it's fine, but I don't like strangers like just going up to me and getting like too close to my boundaries. So those are some things that I struggle with. Okay. Here in Spain, there's this custom that when you meet someone new, you give them a kiss on the cheek, like both cheeks. Have you seen that? Uh, I have seen that. They do it in some other European countries too. I think in France and maybe Italy. And I've often wondered, like, I wonder what this must be like for autistic people or just anyone who isn't comfortable with people being in their personal space, because it's such a cultural norm that it's automatic. When you are introduced to someone, you instantly go in for the kiss on the cheek. And I honestly don't really like it sometimes. If I don't really know that person, I'm just like, why am I giving you a kiss? It's so intimate. Yeah, I think that for me, 
when I meet a stranger, I'm okay with like shaking hands and making like small talk conversation, but I really am off limits for hugging or like kissing or anything unless it's like immediate family or like really close friends. I just feel awkward and uncomfortable and I really only like it when my parents or siblings like hold my hand or hug me because that for me is normal because it's family, but I just feel kind of weirded out when like a stranger wants to do it. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. So switching topics, Mary, you said you're 21 years old, right? Do you have a job? Are you working right now? Currently, I'm not working. I want to, but I haven't seen any jobs that work out best for me. I was working in 2019 at a furniture store, and I got about six months of working experience. But unfortunately, then the pandemic hit Mm. and I had to quit because of it. And it's been really hard to find a job since then. What do you think are some of the challenges with finding a job? I think that the interview process is probably the worst part. As an autistic, it's really awkward. And you have to remind yourself, like, smile, be friendly to this person you've never met before. You have to keep answering and respectful kind of dialogued responses. And what's helped me a lot is that I have practice interviews with my parents. So we sit down and we kind of play out how it looks and we just practice and practice and practice. And then that usually helps a lot. I had a really great interview at Bed Bath & Beyond, but unfortunately I didn't get the job, but the interview did go really well. Nice. What kind of job would you want? Like, what's your dream job? I think my dream job is I really love graphic design because it's very like hand-eye coordinated and I really have a fun time designing stuff on Illustrator. I love working with animals so I'd love to work for maybe like a service dog company or an animal shelter and I love also doing what I'm doing now which is occasionally like posting on my blog about autism awareness and acceptance and how to make the world a better place for autistics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. What do you think is needed for the autistic community? Like if you could, you know, wave a magic wand, what kind of support would be really helpful for autistic adults? I think that for autistic adults, we need more support. And I think that they should be aware, like in working areas, like, We may not respond or react the way that neurotypicals would to certain responses or actions or in grocery stores. We might have a panic attack if it's too bright or too loud because I know that one time when I went grocery shopping with my dad, I had a panic attack in a market basket because... It's a really overwhelming store for me, and I just have a really hard time handling that kind of stuff. Mm. How did you get through it? I just stopped for a minute, and I took a couple of deep breaths, and I said, it's okay, it's almost over. We need to find my dad 
and we need to just check in. And I also did this game called Five Things, I think, which is what my therapist taught me, like five things you can see that are the color green or five things you smell. And that game really helped bring me out of it. I suffer from this thing called derealization, where if I get really stressed, I completely snap out of reality. And it's like the world around you. It's not real. Like it feels really scary. And I think we should also bring awareness to that because a lot of autistics do suffer from really bad anxiety and mental health issues. And I think that if we can bring awareness to derealization, which is what some autistics struggle with, I know I do, I think that can help make places more accessible as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So could you describe what you mean by it seems like the world around you isn't real? So it's kind of like one minute, everything's fine. I can see my body and I can feel that I'm in the present. And then the world around me just gets really like bright and warm. And then I'm just in kind of this void and I don't know what's going on. And it's hard to remember things. And I'm really slow. Like I can't really respond properly. And I'm just kind of cloudy and confused. And it just kind of feels like I'm walking in this nightmare that myself or the world created because I was so chronically stressed that my mind just snapped. And it's really hard to understand and explain, but it's a really hard thing when it happens. Is this usually paired with a panic attack? It can be, but usually with derealization, like what happens is that panic attacks are sudden and they can happen in bursts, but usually it's just one and done. Derealization is like a state of mind of really severe stress and it can last days, weeks, or even years. And really the only way to stop it is to find a way to just be calm and to solve the situation. Wow. What was the longest it lasted for you? When I was about 12, it lasted about a year straight. Okay. Or maybe like six to seven months straight. It was awful. And my family didn't know what to do or how to help me. And I just kind of suffered through the derealization as well as the panic attacks. And then in 2014, when I was 13, it wasn't really derealization as much, but I was having up to like five panic attacks a day because I just felt unsafe with everything that was going on in school. And it was just a really hard year for me. Mm. So this was around the time that you found out about your autism. Yeah. Was it related? Like, did it start happening afterwards? I think it was. I think that I was just so stressed. I didn't really understand anything. I didn't really understand why people were treating me differently, why school was so hard. And 
I didn't really feel safe in school because I was bullied, because I wasn't really taking classes that worked out for me. The teachers were really mean to me, and it kind of became this place that should be safe that I saw as a threat. And my brain just immediately just shut off when I was there. And it it just didn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. And I was battling with like these daily thoughts of like, what is going on, you know? Yeah. That's a really tough age for anyone. And then on top of that, you add the bullying and the not understanding why people are treating you differently. Like I can see how that would be really stressful. So does the derealization still happen these days, like now? It does, but thankfully it's able to be controlled a little bit. For me, it doesn't happen usually unless I've been stressed about something for a certain amount of hours. Okay. So if I stress about something for a couple hours or I stress about something for like a couple days, it could just unexpectedly happen. But usually if I'm just calm and collected, it doesn't happen, which is good. Okay. So now you have some tools and strategies to keep yourself calm so it doesn't get to that point. Yeah, definitely. I also think that as I've gotten older, I think that hormones play out a little bit. I think as they kind of level off, anxiety gets easier to manage. Yeah, got it. And I hope that talking about this doesn't trigger anything for you, does it? No, thankfully it doesn't do that. I actually really like bringing awareness to anxiety, especially in the autism field. I read a study that up to 80% of autistics struggle with anxiety and depression. And I was like, that's actually really interesting. And I can see why. My sister struggles with uh, chronic depression and occasional anxiety. And I suffer from chronic anxiety and occasional depression. So we kind of laugh about it. Like, isn't that ironic? But, you know, we, I fight for better ways to help autistics with their mental health, definitely. And I hope that there's ways for autistics to get maybe autism-friendly therapy. Like there could be stim toys and snacks and drinks in the office if they need that. And they can kind of walk around and stim during sessions. And there could be low lighting and reduced noise and just kind of create like a safe space. Yeah. I also haven't seen a lot of therapists specialize in autism as well. And I think that it would be really great if we could have that as a society, more therapists who specialize in autism. So that way more autistics can really be seen and feel heard. Yeah, there's a lot of therapy services available for children, but we don't really hear a lot for autistic adults. That's also another hard thing is that I feel like autistic children are really the main focus of autism. I feel like they're either worshipped or they're just degraded. And I also feel like all the attention goes on them, you know, There's service dogs for children with autism, but there's barely any for adults. 
or we make service dogs or all these therapies free for children with autism with insurance or just in general. Um, I've seen like some service dog programs do like free dogs for autistic kids. And I was like, what about adults? They're like, we don't do that. Yeah. I was like, I mean, that's kind of an oxymoron. I mean, autism doesn't end at 18. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of the center of attention in media during April is like, this is my life with an autistic kid, or this is my autistic kid. And I'm like, well, where's the adult representation? I feel like you kind of have to create it yourself in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I've kind of toyed with the idea of going to school, well, going back to school to become a therapist for adults, like a kind of like a psychologist without going to med school, maybe going to some specialized training. And then I've thought, well, why would an autistic person want to talk to me or a neurotypical? Like, wouldn't it be more beneficial if they had another autistic therapist who could help them, who could relate to things that they're going through. What do you think about that? I definitely agree with that. I think that someone who specializes in autism could definitely help, but I feel like one-on-one autistic people talking together can really relate and bond over certain traumas that they've been through or certain issues that they had and still struggle with. Like I know me and my sister, we're like we're like a pair of Oreos. Like we just go together. And she went through things that I went through and I go through things that she sometimes goes through. And we understand what it's like to be made fun of or called names or things like that, all for just being ourselves and having conditions that we can't help, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good that you guys have each other to lean on for support. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So switching gears again, you just (laughs) recently joined our moderator team for our online community. What do you like about being a moderator? I would say the thing that I like the most about being a moderator is probably posting on the page about my experiences with things and asking other people for their experience on things. I asked them how they feel about the puzzle piece. I got the answer that I was kind of expecting. I got a lot of like, I don't use that or I don't agree with it. I was like, yeah, I could definitely see why. I used to support the puzzle piece back when I didn't really know what it was back when I was like recently diagnosed. But as I learned more in 2020 about what autism is, I thought, yeah, I don't really like that. Mm-hmm. So I personally, for me, am not going to use it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can be a really controversial topic because some people actually find a different interpretation of it, thinking that the puzzle piece represents discovering something about themselves, like a missing part, Mm. whether it's this diagnosis or just understanding of who they are. Yeah, I've met some autistic people that like the puzzle piece and that meet the puzzle piece. 
I don't judge them for it. I think that their opinion is their own. And if they support the puzzle piece, that's their business. I don't get into it. I don't start fights over it. I respectfully state why I'm against the puzzle piece, just from my opinion. And some people disagree with me, but we keep it civil and respectful. And I like that. Yeah, that's a great thing about our community, too, is that everyone's voice matters. Is there anything else that you want to share about what you've gained from being part of the community? I would definitely say that it taught me to be proud of myself as an autistic person. Before I started my blog, I was private about my diagnosis and who I was and I kept it open, but I didn't keep it like wide open, if that makes sense. Like I would share with people like, hey, if I ever act this way, it's because I'm autistic. And I kind of just left it at that and I didn't really elaborate on it further. And when I was opening my blog, I got to really share who I am personally and deeply. And I'm saying, you know, I'm not ashamed of who I am anymore. I'm proud of who I am. And I feel like it really completes a piece of me. And my blog has taught me to love myself and connecting with my followers. And I think that the Global Autism Project has been really fun because it taught me to really open up more and kind of share more Mm. about how I feel on certain topics. And I love sharing that with my followers. Oh, that's so great to hear. Yeah, it's, you know, when you start sharing about yourself, it gives people permission in a way to share openly also. And then they see it as a safe space. Definitely. Yeah. All right, Mary, I'd like to close with one last question. What advice would you give to other autistic women? I would probably say... Find someone that you know you can trust. I've had issues with people who I thought I could trust, and then they just told everything behind my back. So find someone who you can really rely on, who you can vent to, who you could share with, who you know will always have your back. I would definitely recommend going to therapy to kind of teach yourself how to handle emotions. I really like the journal log and I would say just have fun, you know, don't be ashamed of who you are, embrace it and know your strengths and respect your weaknesses. I think that a great way to learn about autism is to listen to other autistics, but also to listen to yourself. And when you start really learning about your condition some more, you can say like, Maybe that's why I felt that way back then or why I felt that way. And that's okay. You know, that's a part of autism. And my sister may be over here at point A, but I'm over here at point B. And guess what? We're still both autistic and that's okay. Beautifully said. So do you want to share your social media and your your blog? Of course. So my social media is autisticrainbow15. And my TikTok is Mary Sparkles 315. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Mary. Thank you so much for having me.
Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. If you're autistic and you're looking for a community who understands you, there's a place for you in our online global autism community. Like Mary, you can connect with other autistic people and share your story while building advocacy skills and gaining confidence. Family members and professionals are also welcome in the community. This is a safe space to hear directly from autistic individuals and learn how to become a better ally. Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our online global autism community to collaborate with people all over the world. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.